Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Mark Yolton, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eric. Um, my understanding is uh, in the world of B2B social networks, uh, SAP's social network is you know, probably one of the most successful, maybe one of the most profitable. We've received a lot of recognition uh, from different organizations, uh, independents and so on. The Altimeter Group has, has ranked us as among the top ten um, in the world in global brands. Uh, there's an organization called Site IQ, which does very in-depth uh, analysis of, of communities and, and websites more broadly as well, and, and they've ranked us as number one in the high-tech industry. So we're getting a lot of positive uh, feedback from independent uh, individuals and organizations that are watching us. One of the biggest challenges I see um, when you get asked a question like, what's the value of an online social network? Uh, you know, my, my, my first uh, uh, response is usually, well, how much time do you have? Because, you know, if you get asked that question by a senior level executive who wants a five-minute answer, you know, what is that answer? Yeah, well, for us, we think about delivering value to different groups or stakeholders or, or um, market segments. You might use different language depending on your part of the organization or your perspective, but you know, the, the, the key groups that, that I think about delivering value to are, of course, our customers. So we're interested in delivering some benefit to them that they can't get from our competition um, so that they would remain loyal uh, and stay with us as a, as a provider. Um, I would also think about providing value to our partners. Uh, part of the larger organization that I'm a part of here at SAP, it's called the Global Ecosystem and Partner Group. And so partners are very important as, uh, as a constituent for us to be serving and delivering benefit to. Of course, SAP, they pay the bills, um, so I do need to provide value back to my company. And that can be in the, in the way of financial benefit, but it can be in some other ways, too. I may accelerate time to market for a particular product, or I, I could uh, ramp up and accelerate the um, adoption of something in the marketplace. I could help reduce costs and so forth for SAP as my sponsor. And then if we think about who uh, participates in communities and social media, um, it's not typically companies who are participating, it's individuals. So I need to provide some value to individuals as well. So I think about these you know, big buckets of, of groups or organizations or market segments that I need to provide value to uh, and then start to drill into each one of those um, and determine specific things that I can give them in order to um, uh, deliver some, some extraordinary benefit. Customers always come first. So I, I really like to think about us being a customer-focused ecosystem at SAP so that everything we do uh, is directed toward customers and helping them to be successful with our software um, and uh, innovating and, and 
my philosophy is if we can make our customers more successful than our competitors' customers, then those customers are going to come to us, uh, those competitor customers. Or our customers are going to buy more, uh, upgrade faster, um, you know, extend their capabilities, and so forth. So for customers, um, one of the things that we provide very um, at, at the core are solutions, solutions to technical challenges, uh, solutions to business problems, um, and primarily those solutions are delivered by other customers. So uh, if a customer in the chemicals industry is having a challenge uh, and wants to know best practices for, let's say, distribution of chemicals uh, through their supply chain, they can turn to another um, chemicals customer in our ecosystem through our communities, share best practices with them, and learn a little bit. Um, and so they're able to overcome technical challenges, to share best practices, um, and through that, those customers get free access to subject matter experts, so they get faster implementations and faster resolution of issues, and therefore they're more successful. Um, they do reduce their total cost of ownership as a result. Uh, and so one of our hopes is if they can reduce some of the burden of day-to-day -day operations, adopt best practices, um, overcome challenges faster, they're going to have budget left over and they can buy more stuff. I mean, that's a very simple way to say it. Um, our customers can also increase the knowledge within their organization at a very low cost. We in our communities have about 2 million individual members uh, who are uh, from about 250 uh, countries and territories around the world. So uh, they're sharing their experiences with each other. And, you know, in my previous example, a chemicals customer learning from another chemicals customer. But there's, you know, somebody from, the, from one industry can learn from another. They can learn from a different geography. Uh, they're seeing uh, rates of adoption at different speeds and get insight into what's going on in their marketplace and so forth. Um, and they get Can to I just ask a, a quick question on – before you move sure. – I want to hear the rest of the answer, but before you move on, in the example of the um, chemical company sharing uh -huh. information about how they – use SAP to manage their supply chain with another right. chemical company. I mean, there was a day when, you know, companies wouldn't have shared that type of information because they would have seen it as perhaps compromising their competitive edge. Yeah, there are some things that uh, customers shouldn't share openly in, in an open discussion forum or blogs or wikis or whatever it might be. Um, but if supply chain is not the differentiator, uh, then, um, then it's perfectly okay to share. For example, you know, hiring practices for um, two different retail companies, um, that might not be their differentiator, you know, hiring and benefits and, you know, how they do performance reviews and so on. So there's no harm in sharing it. Now, if those two retail companies are, are thinking about, um, um, being more efficient and then can offer lower prices, then supply chain might be an area where they don't share. So really it's up to the individuals who understand their company to know, look, I can share uh, information on about 80% of what we're doing, but this 20% makes us different in the marketplace and gives us a competitive edge versus our competition, and so I shouldn't be sharing in that area. Does that help? 
It does. But, you know, I guess the question is, you know, the company has to, of course, trust the people to make that distinction unless, of course, there's some real clear cut policy that 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 lets employees know what can and cannot be shared, because what is proprietary is subjective, right? Well, it is, but uh, but trust is one of those big words of the 21st century, I think, in social media. So really, companies do need to trust their employees. If they don't trust their employees, then, then we're in trouble. Um, our employees go out to, to lunch at, you know, TGI Fridays or something on a, on a Friday afternoon, and they shouldn't be talking, you know, about the, uh, you know, the, the new development, the new innovation that's happening in their products. Uh, while they're sitting next to uh, one of their competition, potentially. So, I mean, companies have to trust their employees. I think companies uh, uh, also can provide guidelines. Um, For example, we at SAP have guidelines for our employees. Actually, the employees asked for it. It wasn't a management top-down thing. It was employees saying, look, I'm a little bit unclear on where the – where their boundaries are, what are the guidelines or what are, what are the rules of the road for appropriate be- behavior on what I can or can't do on social media? Um, are, are those guidelines so provided such guidelines? Are those guidelines published? Are they available? Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, we have guidelines published, and, and I can send you a, a link to those, and then you can provide it to your listeners and so forth. Um, they're, they're probably findable. Um, within our SAP community network, which is scn.sap.com. Uh, but I think for for uh, potential benefit or for ease of, fu- of finding them, um, I can make them available to you, Eric. Thanks, and we'll have a link to those in the show notes as well. Um, often when it comes into creating a policy uh, to govern employee behavior in social media, um, legal often sees value in ambiguity because it gives them a little bit more um, wiggle room if they get uh, between a rock and a hard place and need to uh, persecute a matter uh, on behalf of the company against an employee. Um, Just how detailed are these, these, these rules that SAP has? Um, They're actually uh, not very detailed on purpose. Um, And, and, the reason we didn't want them to be too detailed and too prescriptive is the minute we got them written down, they'd be out of date because this whole area is moving too fast. Um, so part of the challenge is legal precedent um, and so forth hasn't kept up and can never keep up with the, uh, the speed of the market. And so what we asked for was we even call them guidelines. We don't even call them policies because we, we want to leave it up to the employee's best judgment um, to do the right thing, to know where they should or shouldn't be uh, engaging, and to use their judgment and common sense. So um, we did have legal participate in this. The process of coming up with these guidelines was interesting. Number one, the employees asked for it. A number of employees said, I need some more guidance from you on what I can or can't be doing. Um, we used an internal wiki to gather information and to refine the wording of these guidelines. Um, We then used our legal organization, our intellectual property organization, to help give us feedback on wording that would or wouldn't work very well. Um, Then we took it all the way up to our board. And so the SAP board actually reviewed these guidelines and approved them. And then we published them to employees and actually published them externally so that other companies could use them if they so desire. 
Mark, let's talk about branded versus public communities. Um, this is often a conundrum for organizations because they know if they start their own community, they're going to be tasked with the duty to update that community, and they're going to have to sustain the momentum uh, by mm-hmm. managing that community. And so a lot of organizations say to themselves, oh, well, why don't we just go to LinkedIn or let's just go to Facebook or let's go somewhere where the community is already, where there is momentum and inertia already, rather than have to develop it ourselves. Talk to us a little bit about the decision to go with a branded community versus a public community. Yeah, SAP, uh, actually, we have both. And I think um, to a large extent, that decision is is um, driven by your business strategy. What are you hoping to accomplish through this? Um, and then you think, well, what are the tools then to accomplish this business strategy? Um, for us, we use uh, both a branded and SAP community network um, uh, community, but also we participate in LinkedIn, we participate in Facebook, we have photos up on Flickr that our customers and partners and others take at events and share with each other. Um, we have videos up on YouTube. We've got all kinds of things going on. So about seven years ago, SAP moved from being a pure business applications company to also having a middleware strategy and a middleware product called SAP NetWeaver. And so in order to have uh, a middleware, you really need developers. And so the idea was um, we've got to have a developer community, a developer network, uh, in order to enable and empower and equip these developers to be successful with our middleware. So we started something called SAP Developer Network um, back in mid-2003, and it had all the usual stuff that you would find in uh, similar developer networks like MSDN and so forth. Um, It had downloads and tools and content and discussion forums and so on. Um, We've since expanded that to now address different segments of our market. So in addition to a developer network, which really focuses more broadly on IT people, could be systems administrators or others who are technical, we also have a business process expert community, which focuses on the business analysts and solution consultants who a lot of times have one foot in IT and one foot in the business. Um, We have a community for university students and professors that has 100,000 members after one year and uh, from more than 1,000 universities around the world. We acquired a company called Business Objects, which is very focused on business analytics software, and so we have a community for that group. And all told, uh, this is now 2 million members of a community. Now, what you get from such a community is a little bit more control. Uh, Certainly, there's no way that I or my small team can control or manage uh, 2 million members um, from 200-plus countries around the world. That's just not possible. There's too much activity. There's 6,000 forum posts a day. We have 5,000 people who are blogging, most of whom are not our employees but are actually customers and partners, so we're not going to tell them what to do. So, you know, it poses some challenges, but we can offer them some incentives or disincentives for certain behaviors. Um, but really what we're doing is we're, we're creating a place where all of this activity can happen in one spot. We can be the center of the universe. We can, we can have all kinds of content and activity aggregated in one spot. Now, we, of course, also utilize LinkedIn, Facebook, Flickr, Twitter, etc., 
but those are more adjunct kind of activities, and they're a little bit more of an arm's length relationship. And I would say that they're more augmenting, uh, where the main activity is occurring within our community, uh, and then there are some other things that happen in these other adjacent social media platforms uh, that we participate in. Do you believe that uh, branded communities are pretty much th- the way to go for every company, or what criteria would a company consider when they're making that decision? Well, yeah, um, I, I, I would never say every because, um, because there's always an exception and, and so forth, but I think there are advantages for branded communities uh, that you can't get in Facebook, LinkedIn, and so forth. Um, so... One of the considerations, I would say, is probably size. And it doesn't have to be size of your company, but it might be size of your customer base. Who are the people who are most likely to participate in such a community? If it's 40 people, then there may not be enough critical mass for you to uh, generate enough activity in a community. It'll end up being just a plain old Web Web 1.0 website uh, where you're publishing information out. Um, so I'm sure that addressable market or potential community size is one of the factors. Um, there are, of course, cost and legal and and process and so forth um, responsibilities that you have to take on if you are um, operating or, or orchestrating a uh, community. So there are some things that if you don't have the capability or don't want to hire somebody or don't want to outsource it or something, um, that you should probably simply participate in somebody else's unbranded community. And that may be a good way to go for a smaller company as well, is to start that way, start to get involved and engaged, um, and then make a determination whether to uh, start a branded community or not. I would suspect there's probably a third way, and it's probably a, you know, maybe there is an industry consortium of smaller companies or um uh, or uh, groups or individuals in a certain industry or with a certain uh, job role that might form a community as well. And you could certainly actively participate in those, and I think that's a perfectly um, appropriate way to uh, address it. The top-rated, longest-running social media communications training program comes to Los Angeles this August 2010. Bring your laptop, log on, and learn the ins and outs of effective social media communications and search engine optimization. Reserve your space by logging on to www.newmediaprbootcamp.com. Do you think that tech companies typically, I mean, if... Let's let's talk about tech versus non-tech companies. If I if I if it's a non-tech company and it's a very large company, and let's say the uh, customers are desk-bound, um, you know, is, is there a certain type of vocation that is is you think more uh, a better fit for online social networking than others? Yeah, I think uh, the more technical roles. I don't know if they're more fit, but they're more ready. Um, I think the more technical roles are um, more comfortable with engaging in these kinds of social media activities. Um, I think there's probably also a generational question. Um, So there might be an age uh, consideration about whether younger people are more comfortable with participating and engaging in these certain ways. So um, I know that my kids... 
uh, are perfectly comfortable, you know, participating that way, whereas some of my friends from college and so on are much less comfortable and, and almost don't really know what these things are all about or why they would participate. So I would say, say more technical people and younger people are probably more predisposed. Now, the technical people, I think, also have an advantage um, insofar as uh, they don't have as much uh, differentiating uh, strategic uh, business information um, that might be shared. The kinds of problems that they're, or challenges that they're faced with are the sort of the, you know, how do I make this work and how do I run this code and why is it not working and how do I optimize the system and so on. That's not the kind of stuff that you need to be as worried about uh, protecting from an intellectual property or competitive position. So I think they also have an advantage in, a in, a, in the technical roles um, that you're more able to share more information because it's less, uh, less dangerous or less volatile. Now, I know that uh, when, when I was reading the briefing document that you gave me, you said uh, it says there are certain areas that are public, and then once in a while, if there are things that um, people in the community want to discuss that are private, that those can be in a private section. How do you sort of decide uh, the question to make your online social network, your, your B2B online social network, private versus public? Yeah, we have um, we do have some pretty extensive private areas, and we have a whole platform that we call Collaboration Workspace. Um, one of the things that we use it for uh, is for our customers to help write the um, business requirements documents for our next generation of software. So, um, let's say uh, P&G wants to get together with us and help us um, uh, define our next generation of consumer products, goods, um, uh, software. Um, we will get P&G and some of their colleagues and peers in the consumer products um, uh, industry together, and we will ask them to uh, help define the, the features and capabilities and functionality and so forth of products to come. Now, we don't, number one, we don't want to share that with our competitors in an open discussion forum, blogs, wikis, and so forth, because then, you know, our, our competitors get their hands on that information. Number two, we have to be really careful about intellectual property discussions, um, forward-looking stuff, and who owns the, let's say, the content of that discussion. Um, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, take this feedback, implement software, sell it in the market, and then 10 years from now have one of the participants in that conversation come back and say, hey, that was my idea, so now you owe me $10 million. Um, we need to be really clear and sign some legal documents and say, look, whatever's discussed in this room, SAP is free to use uh, and put into its products. So there's a whole intellectual property kind of an angle to the decision about whether you remain public or whether you go private. Um, and that's one of the scenarios where we do that. Other times, there are simply groups uh, of individuals who want to be able to have frank and open discussions that they don't want to expose to the whole world. We have that going on with some of our top contributors, which we call SAP mentors. These are extraordinary people. There's 75 people from around the world 
who are the top contributors to our communities, very uh, mature and professional, extraordinary expertise and so forth. But 75 out of 2 million indicates that they're pretty extraordinary. So we have those people actually uh, act as proxies for the larger community because we can't always listen to 2 million voices, but we can listen to 75 who are listening to 750 who are listening to a couple thousand. And so those 75 mentors give us some feedback, and we do that in a private area so that they can be frank and open with us so that we can share some information with them that we, can't, we aren't ready yet to share with the entire marketplace. They can give us feedback on policies and practices as much as products, uh, and we can kind of test some ideas and evolve some ideas before we're ready to launch a program, and we do that in private as well. Are the mentors self-selected? Uh, they're, they're nominated by the community. So our, our larger community gets three times a year to nominate uh, who they believe would be mentors. Uh, they're typically people who are very active in the community, very professional, very expert in a certain area. From that nomination, then, we make some selections. And the reason we make the selection and don't have some kind of an election or something like that uh, is simply because we're looking for diversity. We're looking for, um, we're looking for as many women as possible, in part because um, the IT industry is so male-dominated. Our communities, you know, out of 2 million members, uh, something like 16% are female. So we're really looking to um, shine a spotlight on the women who are leaders. So that's one thing that we're looking for. We're also looking for geographic diversity. Um, we are a very global company, so we're looking for people who will represent China and India and Australia and Brazil and not just the United States. So that's another thing that we're looking for. We're also looking for diversity of expertise. Uh, we have... A, a wide range of products and services that we offer. Um, and so we're looking for people with expertise, not just clumped in one particular core area, but spread across the entire portfolio of things that SAP does and offers. And so we're looking to, to get some diversity there. So there are a number of criteria that we're looking for. And so once nominated by the larger community, then we apply some you know, some reason and rationale in order to spread the wealth a little bit across the world and across different topics. When you look at the mentors with respect to uh, the job title and I guess the hierarchy, you know, manager uh -huh. level, director level, VP level, are there any generalizations you can make about that group? Uh, generalization would be they're about mid-level, uh, I would imagine. Uh, a lot of them work for um, systems integrators or service partners of SAP. Um, so they are dealing with uh, customers and customers in a lot of cases. Uh, I would say that because of the nature of our community, they're pretty technical people. Um, they're not as many business people as there are IT or, or technology folks. Um, they would skew to the younger, uh, although younger is relative, and, it, and younger, the age for younger keeps creeping up as I get older. So I would say mm, that generally in their 30s would be my uh, would be my estimation around 35 or so. Um, they're mostly men, uh, just because that's the way our demographics shift in the uh, in the IT and high tech world. Um, and so I, I think that probably covers it. But you say a lot of them are with system integrators. They're not. They're not. They're not SAP employees. 
Oh, no, there, we have very few SAP employees. Um, there might be, out of 75, I might guess that there's five SAP employees, so they'd have to be pretty extraordinary people to be SAP employees. So I've got um, to think, if, if, uh, if I'm a system integrator and yeah. I have, um, when one of my uh, employees happens to be a mentor in one of the SAP communities, I would uh-huh. think there'd be some marketing value for me, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, there there is marketing value for the company, uh, but there's also um, you know marketing value for the individual. I think the, these individuals get access that uh, other people don't get. I mean, we we have the mentors meet with our CEO and with our chief technology officer and with the product managers of products that they care about and that they're implementing with their customers. So, so, so if I become get extraordinary access. So if I'm with a system integrator and I become a mentor of one of the communities and my area of expertise is business intelligence, let's say, um, uh-huh. then I would imagine that's actually going to promote um, business and visibility and leads for the integrator that I'm working with because people are going to find out about me. Uh, people that are part of the SAP business ecosystem are going to find out about me through the social network. That could be the case, and we do know of examples, not just of mentors uh, who um, get access to, to new prospects or new customers or the choice roles and the and the choice projects and so on, but are uh, the the active contributors within our community much more broadly um, get access to new prospects and so on. We've we've heard great stories from people who say, you know. I work for the system integrator. I got called in to uh, respond to an RFP. I put, started with my PowerPoint slides to introduce the company and myself and our qualifications. And the customer stopped me and said, no, the reason why you're here in the first place is because we saw your reputation within the SAP community network, and you were invited in because of that. Um, it's not incidental uh, to your being invited here. We also know about individuals who have been asked to um, implement projects and so on, Um, in this case, um, a smaller independent consultant who got invited to work with a very large uh, oil and gas company in the UK um, to work on a very large project that he never would have been asked asked to participate in because he's part of a very small, I'm going to say 10-person company, and they never would have heard of him except through these communities and the fact that he was very active and demonstrated expertise. So his reputation carried him into a project. Um, Large systems integrators get invited to very large customer deals, um, and so there is something to be gained through uh, working your reputation. Whereas if it was all SAP employees, maybe SAP's marketing department and PR department interfacing with subject matter experts within SAP and you guys were controlling the conversation yourself, then that opportunity wouldn't exist and maybe you know, there wouldn't be enough of a reason for the community to get involved because there's no upside. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it, the whole idea of a community, the way that you will get engagement in a community is by providing that kind of benefit to the individuals and to the, to the individual's employers as companies, whether they're our customers or our partners. So really, you need to be providing benefit because otherwise, what's the, what's the draw for them to participate in the first place? So, One of so the things you... that, we, that we really emphasize is um, community engagement and this not being a top-down or inside-out kind of push model. This is us providing a platform and incentives 
uh, to our customers and our partners and and uh, influencers in the marketplace and people who are watching us and so on to participate and have a conversation. Have you guys done any um, any exercises on exactly what those benefits are? Because you, you did a very good job at the beginning here articulating what the benefit is to SAP. But in terms of what the benefits are to the community, um, I can certainly uh, you know think about it's it's easy to think well you could be more efficient you could figure out ways to implement uh, various types of technology quicker and get to market quicker. But um, this sort of intangible benefit um, for an individual have you have you sort of broken those down at all? Yeah, well, yes, we have, um, and you know there are probably ten things that I could that I could mention. One is, you know, speed. I get answers faster. I get insights faster. I know stuff that other people don't know. So therefore, I as an individual have an advantage within my company of higher quality solutions, moving faster. You know, I'm the, I'm the guy who's going to get promoted because I know more or I know where to find the answers or who to ask for the answers. So, so my projects are the successful ones. So you've got speed there, uh, and perhaps productivity and quality might go with that. Number two, um, people are social animals. Uh, we want to connect with other people. And uh, these communities provide a capability for people to make uh, connections and to start to build relationships with some really interesting and insightful colleagues and peers across the world, across your industry, in your industry, in other industries, and so forth. People who you'd want to be connected with. Um, there is um, the ability for you to build your reputation so that you become known. And you may become known just within the community, but our community is 2 million individuals across just about every industry you could think of and across the world and so forth. So, you know, by building uh, a reputation and recognition, um, you're going to get a good feeling from, uh, from that. Um, but you're, you may also get better jobs, faster promotions, opportunities that don't exist for other people, and so forth. Um, we certainly do a lot of recognition of the people who are most active and contribute the most to our community. So we pull them up on stage at major events, and they get you know applauded, and you know flashbulbs going off, and all that stuff in front of three or four thousand people. That makes you feel good. They get recognized within the communities themselves. Uh, so two million people potentially, or 400,000 people who subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter are, you know, seeing your name and lights, in essence. Um, some of our most active people uh, get invited to, to things that, that uh, the general public doesn't get invited to. Uh, we have um, an analyst and influencer summit every year where essentially 300 people from around the world get to go, and our top contributors get to go to it and get access to it. They also get access to our SAP executives. So if, if you have a passion about a certain area and want to talk to a product manager about that area or talk to an SAP executive about your pet project, we're going to get you access if you're one of the most active people. Um, there's, there's a number of benefits that you get from these B2B social networks that you get from a, a general social network that you would get from Facebook or Twitter or something else. And any others uh, you want to you mention? Because this is, I think, really useful. Well, um, I guess I would mention professional skills and growth. Um, you know, by being part of um, uh, the, the information flow, 
by being in the stream of that flow, you're going to have um, insight that others don't get, and you're also going to have the answers to questions uh, that may be elusive to others. So in essence, we do know that people uh, build their professional skills this way. Um, in the old days, when the, uh, some of the systems integrators were hiring very rapidly, in particular some in India, you know, they would hire 100 people a month and they would plop them down in front of the screen and say, go to the SAP community network and start reading. And in a month we'll come back and you'll start asking questions on the community network. And then a month after that, you'll find that you'll be able to answer some of the rudimentary questions. And then in a month after that, we'll be ready to put you in front of a customer to, to work on a project. And so in essence, um, these systems integrators were using our community network and the flow of information and the access to information stores and knowledge stores um, as a way for people to get trained up to speed in the flow of, uh, of how the industry works and so forth. And so it becomes a way for you to build your skills. Um, there is, of course, the, the relevancy question. One of the things that I appreciate about social media, in particular Twitter and, and, and Facebook, um, is that my friends become the news filters for me. Um, you know, if there's somebody who is my friend or somebody I'm following on Twitter who finds a particular article interesting, then it's pr the, there's a high likelihood that I'm going to find that article interesting and relevant to me also. But I didn't have to go read 200 uh, industry journals or news magazines or whatever it is in order to find the few articles that are interesting and relevant to me. Basically, I used all my friends as a filter, and I just read what they read, so a subset of everything that's out there. That's another thing that I think is pretty uh, powerful in that your friends and your connections and your community and your social network becomes the filter for probably what's important and what's relevant to you. So I, don't, I, I actually save some time, I think, but get access to the best information because I'm looking at what my friends and my colleagues and my network is looking at. So I think the benefits are probably endless and we can go on forever about what are the benefits to an individual. Now, Mark, you're the senior VP of the SAP Community Network, so you know you're probably the top guy, I would imagine, in this area. Am I correct? At least at SAP, I am. Okay, so so talk to me about staffing. I mean, what does it take? Yeah. Like, how many people do you need to be able to sustain the momentum in these in these social networks? Yeah, well, I guess in the earliest days, you need one. Uh, one passionate person, and then you probably need three, and then five, and then seven. Um, and it really depends on how deep you're going and how broad you're going. Uh, for us, we have a, a relatively large team. Um, I would say, oh, depending on how you measure it, 30 to 50 people uh, who are engaged in directly running and managing and, and et cetera, the SAP communities of 2 million. Um, and cutting across various different uh, roles and, and, and et cetera. To get started, you probably need one passionate community manager, uh, somebody who will engage uh, with your customers or, or whoever you're targeting, uh, somebody who will help to weed the uh, and, and farm and, and, uh, and take care of the discussion forums or the blog uh, uh, content or whatever it happens to be, and to run some programs in order to encourage 
contributions and encourage participation. But really, it starts with one passionate person, and it grows from there as the community grows and you start to offer additional capabilities. How many dedicated community managers do you have right now? Uh, well, it depends on how you define it, but I think I would say three or five dedicated community managers. And, and when but you those look- are the people... Those are the people who are engaged in discussion forums and blogs and wikis and so forth. They're running programs to encourage contribution. They're, they're weeding out the, the inappropriate stuff or, or the content that's off topic, um, that sort of thing. We have another probably dozen people who are dealing with content. So in essence, um, um, librarians or content strategists or publishers who are pulling content out of SAP product groups and developer areas and so forth and making it available to the public. Um, We have other folks who are doing uh, or managing uh, an online marketplace because we also have a community-powered marketplace where we have about 450 of our partner solutions available. It's like a store, um, an online store. Um, but in uh, not just a two-dimensional online store website, but actually it has ratings and rankings and reviews and demos and all kinds of uh, capabilities in there, a little bit like eBay has star ratings for buyers and sellers. Our customers can rate the solutions. And also uh, reviews a little bit like Amazon does with books where individual customers can write a v- review of a partner solution and tell other customers whether it works and where it works and in what industry and so forth. So we have a number of people in a number of different areas all doing uh, different roles in order to keep this, uh, the community growing and thriving and active and positive. Um, when you look at the um, uh, community managers you're working with in terms of personality traits, um, yeah. you know, what advice do you have for hiring managers who are going to pick a, a community manager? What makes a great community manager from a skill set standpoint? Yeah, I would say that, number one, they have a, a foundation in the subject area of the audience or the community member that you're looking to attract. So, you know, if, if uh, my community is focused on CPAs, then I want somebody with a finance background who's a CPA or, you know, or at least relates to those, those folks. I don't want somebody who's, a, you know, a farmer as their, as their uh, you know, passion, and, and now they've become a community manager for CPAs. It just doesn't work. Um, so, number one, ground, ground that person in the role or the expertise of the area that you're trying to attract. The other would be they're pretty outgoing people. Um, I would say they're fairly extroverted. They like to uh, engage with other people. Um, they are um, positive attitude in that they're encouraging contribution. They're not finding all the reasons why something won't work, but they're finding the reasons why it could work or how it could work. And they're you know, engaging with community members and um, encouraging them and, and uh, calming their concerns or fears and just trying to draw as much participation out of them as possible. In some re- ways, they act as cheerleaders and, 
you know, and uh, supporters and encouragers. Um, in other ways, they, they have subject matter expertise or in particular com community management expertise where they may know how to work the uh, forums and the blogs and so forth in order to give assistance to people. So I would say probably, you know, grounded in subject matter, uh, very outgoing, positive attitude, looking for ways it can work instead of all the reasons why it might not, um, and really uh, encouraging people to participate. I think also forgiving is, is another key aspect of this. Um, you know, in our communities, we have people from all over the world. English is not always their first language, and so we have to be pretty forgiving of some of their, you know, language gaffes and spelling mistakes and, uh, you know, different cultural mores and, and behaviors and so on. And so you can't have somebody who's overly critical and sort of a, a stickler for every comma being in the right place, but somebody who is willing to uh, overlook some of that uh, glossy exterior stuff and just encourage the content because that's what you're looking for. On the Record Online is the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America International Conference. To hear in-depth one-on-one interviews with PRSA conference keynoters, presenters, and panelists, search keyword PRSA on our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Join us October 16th through 19th in Washington, D.C. for the PRSA 2010 International Conference. Is a good community manager all business all the time, or is it okay for them to share their personal interests, um, things that may be going on in their personal life, and, and how do I mean, what, what's the relationship between uh, community managers' willingness to uh, reveal at least some aspects of their personal life with um, you know, their ability to effectively shepherd a community? Yeah, I find that relationships in general work better if the people are real and genuine. Um, and part of being real and genuine is admitting that you're not perfect and, you know, letting your best friends, your closest friends, your spouse and your and others to see some of your warts and mistakes and admitting when you do have mistakes. And so I think that translates in part to the role of community manager where, you know, we're just people um, and we make mistakes just like anybody um, and we want to be forgiven and we want to be understood. I think uh, for our community managers and actually for all of us, um, we have not just a strictly business uh, relationship with the top contributors and the mentors and others who we're closest to. We share uh, Facebook with each other, so a lot of our top contributors I'm connected to on Facebook, and of course we're sharing, you know, what did you do this weekend, and let me see the photos from your recent vacation, and congratulations, you had a baby, and, and all that sort of thing. So we build deeper relationships by sharing uh, our personal lives uh, a little bit with these people, and also by having fun with them. Um, we do events where we purposely inject some fun. Um, one of the events we have is called Demo Jam, and we call it the American Idol for Geeks. It's basically IT developers who are up on stage in front of 3,000 people showing off their inventions and developments. They get, uh, we have an applause meter where the audience gets to determine who the winner is, 
Um, you're not allowed to use PowerPoint. You have to ru- use running code. And so, you know, issues happen. You know, the code, the, the server fails or, or the code doesn't run right or, uh, you know, people are laughing and having a great amount of fun. Um, so I think having fun is a critical component of this. And if you're all business all the time, you're not going to forge the personal relationship or the tight relationships that you're looking to forge with your most important customers and constituents. When in the um, in the online social network that is a store where e-commerce takes place and customers can rate the different products that are there, what is uh-huh. the relationship between ratings and sales? Because I've got to think in some cases there are appliances or utilities that are absolutely required to be able to implement a certain solution, and some may work better than others. Yeah, we uh, interestingly enough um, – the things with ratings, uh, number one, get viewed more because if they're not, if they don't have much ratings or if they don't have many ratings, um, then the customers or prospects aren't as interested in even looking at them. Um, they figure they're not being used or something. I'm not sure what the psychology there is. But the other thing is, um, people don't tend um, to click on or. Uh, hold as much uh, value for the things that have perfect ratings. It, you know, if you've got five stars out of five, there's something fishy going on here, I think, is the reasoning. Um, and I would rather look at some things that have 4.2 out of five because at least I know the, the, the deck isn't stacked. Um, and so we actually find that, you know, things should be rated pretty highly, but perfect is not uh, reasonable and rational, and people are looking for reality again, and they're perfectly capable of reading the positive and the negative reviews and coming to their own conclusions. So I think, um, you know, when it comes to ratings, uh, some reality is important, and a perfect score isn't reality. What do you do when the score is so low that it's embarrassing? Uh, We leave it there, and we encourage the partner to either fix their product or find some other customers who are willing to rate it higher. Um, So we, we do tell the customers or tell the partners and coach them before they ever put anything up on this uh, on this facility called SAP EcoHub from our ecosystem, we tell them before they ever do anything, um, you're going to get some, some low reviews and we're not going to take them down. So your job will be to find other customers who will override those and help pull up your overall score. Uh, or maybe it's an indication that your product's not very good and you need to uh, work on your product and go investigate with the people who rated it low um, find out what they need to give it a better rating and uh, fix that issue. So th- that's really it. I mean, it's an indicator of uh, a problem or an indicator that simply the wrong person has, has commented and you n- need to find a bigger customer base to uh, give some more opinion. Final question, Mark. Talk to us mm-hmm. about the platform selection process. What went into uh-huh. choosing whatever software you are using now to host your online social networks? And um, are you are you happy with the decisions you made? And and uh, do you think that the platform you have is right for everybody? And if not, who is it right for? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, um, our the core of our platform is our own software. Um, SAP being a software company, we're probably in a fairly unique uh, position on that one. Um, but you know, seven years ago when we started down this path on this journey. 
Um, SAP NetWeaver was really the thing that we were interested in getting out into the marketplace, and so we used SAP NetWeaver as the core technology integration platform. Now, um, of course, we didn't have a blog system uh, at SAP during those days. I don't think there were even enough bloggers to, uh, to warrant much of a system. So we went to what was available and we integrated it in. And it actually was something from Tim O'Reilly, um, which he no longer supports and so on. And so in some regards, we're kind of limping along with our blog system. But it works for us for now and, and we'll, we'll migrate later. We also have Jive, uh, Jive discussion forums, and we use Jive for uh, some of our private discussions. We find Jive to be a very uh, capable and, and great company. Uh, we enjoy working with them. You know, I think they're number one or at least among the top couple uh, companies for, um, for uh, social media platforms. So we're very happy with them, and we use them for various different things. But it's not everything that we offer. We have a separate wiki uh, platform that we use. Um, and we simply, essentially what we've done is we've used a bunch of things. We tended to be before um, platforms and capabilities became mainstream, so we have early versions of things. We integrate them in with our own middleware, um, and then we, we go along from there. Uh, now, uh, one of the things that we've ended up with is, in some regards, a Frankenstein monster, right? We've, we've added things over the course of seven years. I would love to be able to just do a massive uh, migration update and upgrade and so forth to all of the current most, most uh, modern technologies, and maybe we'll get budget to do that someday. But for now, um, uh, the, the platform itself, I would say, is a less important thing. Uh, than the business strategy and the goals and the programs that we use to, to run off of that platform. I, I often talk about this being art and science. The technology platform is the science part, I, but I think the art portion of this is probably 60 or 70% of the success or failure, and so I really put an emphasis on the art side of the equation. Mark, I could see how, you know, being a software company that sells proprietary software, that licenses proprietary software, could actually put you in a difficult place if you want to use social media to communicate. Because if you found that there were open source solutions that actually you know, worked better and were less expensive and you deployed them, maybe you'd be, um, uh, you know, you'd be, you'd be stumping for the competition. Uh, not really, because we're very engaged in open source uh, activities. Actually, another part of my team is responsible for SAP's engagement in standards bodies and in open source activities. And we, SAP, are involved in about 120 uh, standards bodies and open source um, groups. So we are highly engaged. We're contributing code to open source. We're also using some some open source code uh, or working projects. In fact, leading projects. Um, so we contribute to the Eclipse Foundation, and you know we do a number of things um, that are that are open source. In essence, what we're looking for is, you know, what is the commoditized uh, layer of software, and we're happy to contribute to that. But then there's always the, the new innovative stuff that's out on front or, or on the edge. That's the stuff that open source doesn't address as well, at least in our opinion. Um, and so that's the area where, where we SAP are competing. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. This has been a great conversation. 
Great. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you, uh, your interest and I appreciate being with you. Thanks very much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.